0: So what good is there in Good Friday? What good is there in Good Friday? It's a day where we remember the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the most evil event that's ever happened in human history. There's never been someone who is more worthy of praise and honor and glory. It's a sinless son of God, the one who spoke all things into existence, the creator of the world, who is nonetheless treated with disrespect and hatred. He's despised, rejected, killed, and crucified. And we come together to remember that on Good Friday. Now it's not uncommon to remember someone's life who lived a great life, but it's a little bit less common to remember someone's death. What's even more unique is to remember their death as a victory and as a triumph. And yet, as we gather on Good Friday, and as the New Testament writers look at the death of Jesus, they recognize that there's a tragedy in the cross. There's a tragedy in the Son of God being betrayed and crucified and killed, but they also view it as a triumph and as a victory. How is that? Just listen for an example. From Galatians 6.14. This is the Apostle Paul, and this is what he says about the cross. This is how he remembers the crucifixion of Jesus. He says this, he says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ. Now, in order for the cross to be a reason to boast, there has to be some sort of a victory, some sort of a victory that would turn the darkest day in human history into our song of salvation, something that we sing about today as glorious and as victorious and hopeful. There has to be some sort of a triumph in the cross that would take the darkest day in history and turn it into that song and our boast for our pride as Christians. Something that we might even have jewelry on our necks or look at the cross on the wall. This is something that we remind ourselves that is central to the Christian story. So what victory is there in the cross? Tonight we read John 19 and 18. And I think we find a clear answer in John 19:30, which was the last statement read. This is Jesus' dying breath and he proclaims at the end of his life, victory with a statement, it is finished. We're gonna look at the victory in that statement of Jesus when he says it is finished from the cross before giving up his life. And what's fascinating about this word that Jesus says is it's literally one word. When Jesus says it is finished, in Greek it's just a single word, tetelestai. Tetelestai, it is finished. He proclaims his victory with this word. We're going to go back a couple verses and just look at the three verses that surround this context, John 1928 to 1930, to see just some of the depths of Jesus' statement here, the depths of his proclamation of victory from the cross. So leading up to it, in John 1928, it says this: that after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So Jesus knows that all is finished, all is coming to an end, and he says in this moment, I thirst. Now Jesus' crucifixion would have absolutely caused severe dehydration and thirst, especially with the sun beating down on him and all the trials he's gone through. But when he says, I thirst, there's something deeper going on. He's saying this in order, as it says, to fulfill the scripture. Likely what Jesus is thinking about and meditating on is the promises, the prophecies in the Psalms, the Psalm book of God's people, where it's told there is going to be a Messiah, a Savior who is going to suffer. And Jesus knows that all those prophecies are leading to this moment. He is the suffering Savior, the suffering Messiah who has been foretold in the scriptures. And it's even told of his suffering and thirst, In the Psalms. There's a few Psalms that speak of this. It's possible that Jesus is thinking of Psalm 22. But more likely, he's thinking of Psalm 69, 21. This is a possibility. And it says this. It says, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And if that's a Psalm that Jesus is contemplating and considering, it's quite astounding because Quite literally, by expressing his thirst that he has, he prompts the fulfillment of this psalm as they give him sour wine to drink. But what we can know as we look at this is that Jesus was not unaware of what was happening. He was self-consciously and intentionally going to the cross. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a mishap. He didn't just find himself there. Jesus willingly went there. He willingly went as a fulfillment of the scripture to the cross and all the way to the point of death. In John 10, Jesus talks about how no one takes his life from him. John 10:18 says this, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus goes to the cross to willingly give up his life in obedience to his father and in fulfillment of all the scriptures. So it's more accurate to say, not just that Jesus is fulfilling one or two scriptures, though there's scriptures being fulfilled left and right in Jesus' passion and his crucifixion. As you read through the gospels, and you even heard tonight, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy after prophecy. But it's more accurate to say, Jesus is not just fulfilling a few scriptures, but that all of history, is culminating in this moment. All the hope of the scriptures are culminating in this moment where Jesus is on the cross and all of God's plan is culminating here. And Jesus says, knowing that it's fulfilled, I thirst. Verse 29 tells us that a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Earlier, Jesus was offered another wine, which he did not take. As Jesus was going to be crucified, they offered him a wine that was mixed with myrrh and gall. And essentially what this wine would have done if he would have drank it is it would have acted as a sedative to numb out some of his pain. But we're told in Matthew twenty-seven thirty-four that when Jesus tasted this wine, he would not drink it. He knew what it was. He knew that that would numb away his pain. And just to consider that for a moment, Jesus going to the cross, fulfilling the scriptures, is not willing to numb out a single ounce of the suffering. Even as it was read tonight, when Jesus is going to the cross, one of his disciples, Simon Peter, tries to defend him, and he pulls out his sword, he cuts off the ear of a high priest, and Jesus tells him, put your sword away. Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus knew that there was a cup of suffering that he was going to go through in the cross and in his rejection and his betrayal, and he was going to drink all of it. He was going to experience the fullness of the suffering. He rejects even the wine that would numb out or take some of the excruciating pain away. But then he's given here another wine. And this wine is a sour wine. So this would have just been the normal wine that soldiers drink for thirst. It wouldn't have given him uh, numbness to pain. If anything, it would have given him a little bit of strength and perhaps has prolonged his suffering a little more. Some suggest that the reason he took this or one of the things that happened as a result of him taking this is that it gave him strength to proclaim his victory and say, it is finished. And after this, after he drinks the wine in John 19, 30, we're told that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. No one took it from him. No one took his life from him, but he willingly gave it up. He went all the way to the cross. He's the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. He's willing to endure, to fulfill the scriptures all the way to the point of the cross. He's willing to obey his father all the way to the point of the cross. He's willing to lay down his life for his people at the cost of his life. And with his dying breath, he then proclaims victory and states, it is finished. There's a pastor, Alexander McLaren, who lived from the 1800s to the early 1900s, and he comments on Jesus' words, it is finished. It's a great quote I just want to share. And before I read this, I want you to know, when he talks about the cup, he's talking about that cup of suffering that Jesus receives from his father and drinks. He says this, having drained the cup, he held it up inverted when he said, it is finished. And not a drop trickled down the edge. He drank it that we might never need to drink it. And so his dying voice proclaimed that by one offering for sin forever, he obtained eternal redemption for us. I love that image. He takes the cup, he drinks it, and when he tips it over, there's not a single drop that is left. Jesus endures all the way through the suffering of the cross for his people. He fulfills what the scriptures had promised. He obeys His father. He lays down his life for his people and he proclaims his victory. I have accomplished it. It is finished all the way to death. So, the question we want to ask them is what does it is finished mean for us? What does it is finished mean for us as God's people? The first thing that it is finished means for us is that God will never condemn his people. God will never condemn his people. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To be condemned means for God to give us a verdict of guilty, to be judged by him as guilty and condemned for our sin. But we're told that for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. None. This does mean though that those who are not in Christ, those who do not know Christ, are still under the judgment and the verdict of God. And if that's you tonight, you realize you've you've never come to know Christ, our hope for you is that you would see the savior that Jesus is. That whatever you might be living for or boasting and are hoping in today, that you would see that Christ is better. That you would believe in him and trust in him whether this is a day where you come to know Christ or whether you've known Christ for years, the truth for all of God's people is that there is no condemnation. Christ stood in our place. He took the condemnation of sin upon himself and he proclaims his victory with the word, "It is finished." Which means for us that our past sins cannot separate us from God. It is finished. Our present sins cannot separate us from God. It is finished. And our future sins cannot separate us from God because it is finished. There may be things in our lives that haunt us, that will come back to remind us of our failures and our sins or inadequacies. But if you are in Christ, the hope that you have is you know the word that Christ has proclaimed. And he says, it is finished. There is no condemnation. That is not what defines you. The verdict is given. It also means that on your worst day, when things are not going right, that that is still true, it is finished. He has saved His people for all time, no present sin and no future sin. We can wake up each day confident that God is going to carry us through, because Christ has already declared his victory over sin and death with his word. It is finished. Which means that there's never a need for us as Christians to have self-punishment, self-hatred, self-condemnation, despair. Because Christ's word over us is, it is finished. It is finished. God loved us at our worst, and it's shown when Christ accomplishes salvation for his people and declares it is finished. It also means not just that there's no condemnation for us, but that we are no longer enslaved to sin. There may be areas of our life where we feel like we are hopeless and we are bound. We keep going back to the same things that we try to get over. Whether this is anger or bitterness, addiction, an unhealthy relationship and unhealthy activities that we keep finding ourselves going into, at times it can feel hopeless. But again, Christ's word, it is finished, speaks victory says that there is no condemnation, but also the power of sin is decisively defeated in the cross. He declares over it, his word, it is finished. And this is vital for us because if we feel like we are identified in our sin and we feel like we are hopeless, we won't be able to make progress. We won't be able to be changed. We won't be able to be transformed. Much of the Christian life is believing what Christ has said. It is finished believing that that is true of who you are, that Christ has conquered your sin, so that there is hope, so you can fight for holiness and righteousness from the place of the finished work of Christ. That it is finished means that our sin no longer enslaves us. It also means that we have hope in suffering. We know that whatever trials or difficulties we go through today, that it is not a result of God's condemnation of us. God is not punishing his people. Whatever trials we go through today are part of God's plan to actually make us more like Jesus. And also in our trials, we know the end of the story. We go through various trials today. We go through depression, despair. We go through worldwide pandemics, worldwide wars, difficulties, challenges, sleeplessness, chronic pain, loss of loved ones. And yet we know the end of the story. Jesus declares it with his word, it is finished. He declares that the power of sin and death will not give the final word, but that all things will be made new. He will wipe away every tear from the eyes of his people. And so we can say with confidence that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8 tells us this, and we can say this with Paul, that I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is finished means that there is no condemnation, that we are no longer slaves, that in every challenge and difficulty of our life, there is hope. We know the end of the story. We know the one who holds our future and accomplishes it. With his word, it is finished and promises us what will come. And finally, but not exhaustively, because there's so much more we could say about this statement, it is finished. It is finished also means that it has begun. Because when the reign of sin and death are defeated, the reign of life begins. And the evidence, the way that we know that Jesus' words, it is finished, are true and right, and that Jesus has vindicated is Easter, when Jesus rises from the dead. So you know that death is powerful and alive when it is reaping destruction all throughout the world. But you know that death is defeated when Jesus rises victorious over it on Easter. That's the boast and the accomplishment that we celebrate in the cross. It is the greatest accomplishment that has been ever achieved to defeat sin and death. Jesus himself killed death there is no greater accomplishment than that. And that's the reason that we boast in the cross. It is, a victor- it, is a, it is a victory. It makes Good Friday, a day where we both remember the grief and the tragedy of the cross, but we live with triumph. We realize that there's no greater accomplishment in our own lives that would be worth boasting. And what accomplishment of our own, what fame, what notoriety, what recognition would be worth comparing with Jesus Christ who defeats sin and death and who brings eternal life into the world. And this is why we surrender our whole lives to Jesus and we say you are worth all of it. We surrender ourselves to Christ and we say we want to boast and to live and direct our lives towards you alone. We say with Paul in Galatians 6:14 that far be it for me to boast. Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you that Christ has declared his victory. It is finished. Those words spoken 2,000 years ago reign just as true today, and for all eternity will reign true. This is the moment when Christ has killed and defeated sin and death, when it no longer has power, and he ushers in a new reign. What I pray that we would boast in Christ, and anything else that our hearts and our minds would seek to boast in, that we would just see as foolish, we would see the hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ, the victory of the cross as the power of God for salvation in our great hope. We thank you for your great love in sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for Jesus' willingness to go all the way to the cross, to fulfill our hope, hope of the scriptures promised long ago, and to bring in the reign of life. Lord, we love you we surrender ourselves to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.